You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your favorite CCT personality, JTAC extraordinaire, embracer of the ridiculous face, and like the shortest operator you'll ever meet, Peaches. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Ones Ready podcast. You're in the team room with us. Uh, We're missing Aaron uh, dearly. Sorry to not have him on another one of these, but we love you, man. So we hope you are able to join us here pretty soon. Uh, Today, we have Wes Fresh Woodhouse. So he is an F-15E or a Strike Eagle pilot, and we wanted to pick his brain about uh, some of the stuff regarding being a pilot. But before that, we want to thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you watching us. We appreciate all the engagement on Instagram, Facebook, emails. Uh, Like we really appreciate and you guys are the whole reason that we do this entire thing. So please continue to do that. Um, As as annoyed as we get, you know, when you we get asked what is our day to day life, especially Trent, like no one, it doesn't piss anybody off but Trent. So please continue to ask those questions. <laughs> yeah, and if you ask us, we're going to forward it to him. Yes. <laughs> so uh, also, we have friends out there, as you guys know. We have Alpha Brew Coffee Company. We've got Trench Coffee Company. Got Eberly Stock. We've got Hoist. We've got Strike Force Energy, uh, New Ones Cardo Max that we've brought on, uh, Outer Regs Pomade. So we've got a bunch of friends out there who are all supporting us, and in turn we support them. So you guys can go check them out and use the promo code Ones Ready and get yourself a discount. And it just shows that you support us and you're supporting them. So fresh. Uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm just going to call you that because I'm just so used to call signs. So that's what we're going to go with. Uh, why don't you dive in a little bit, give us a bit about your background and uh, and where you come from and what you're doing. Yeah. So uh, like I said, I'm Captain Wes Fresh Woodhouse. Uh, I'm currently stationed at Nellis Air Force Base. Uh, I've been in the Air Force for just over seven years, uh, flying the Strike Eagle for the last five. Um, and uh, I've, I've been Actually, my wife and I laughed about it the other day. I've been stationed in every single time zone in the continental United States, uh, which is which is interesting. And um, uh, yeah, so doing the Air Force thing, I live here with my my wife and then my two year old daughter uh, and my dog. Um, so lo- love flying jets, uh, love having conversations like these with with other smart guys and uh, and other guys who who are out there getting the mission done uh, for the U.S. So uh, love that, and thanks for the opportunity to come on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 kind of a, the first for us, I think, to have a, a a fighter pilot on. So it's super interesting. But I think one of the things we try to do is kind of go through things chronologically. So uh, from the beginning, uh, uh, some of the questions that people ask is like, where do I start? What's the best place to to you know get the training or go to school? Um, so for your background, let's just kind of cover like ROTC versus the academy. Like, is there a better way to become a, a pilot in the Air Force? And kind of what are the differences? Yeah, great question. There's uh, there's three different ways that you can commission, uh, as you guys probably know, the academy, ROTC, or OTS. Um, the the primary method, the 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 most volume is probably through uh, the academy, and then ROTC is is kind of the a little bit of the funnel that they they use to make sure that they're getting the right amount of of officers every single year. Um, but all three are valid methods, and I know plenty of of pilots who are 
who commissioned from all three sources. Uh, I um, applied to go to the Academy initially uh, and then used ROTC as, as my backup, ended up uh, not getting selected for the Academy. So I went through Air Force ROTC at Michigan Technological University. Um, but uh, what I will say as far as, as, as trying to go the, the pilot route, it's, it's difficult to say uh, which one is better because with the, I mean, it all comes down to the needs of the Air Force. You know, right now we're kind of in, in a shortage for pilots. And so they're taking uh, as many from the academy specifically, if you're quali- medically qualified uh, to be a pilot and you graduate, you can, you can go to pilot training. Um, obviously not everybody chooses to do that. Um, and so you have a certain amount of pilots who, who get there from the academy. Uh, and then ROTC is, is, is kind of where the, the rubber meets the road as far as, um, if the needs of the air force are, are low for pilots, uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to get there from ROTC than from the academy. Um, but again, right now, since there's a shortage, I think most people, if not all people who are who are wanting to go the pilot route and are medically qualified, uh, will get there through ROTC. Uh, OTS is a bit of a different one because they hire specifically for your AFSC uh, prior to you showing up to OTS. Uh, and so a lot of my friends who went through OTS and ended up as a pilot, they were selected for pilot training prior to even going to OTS. Uh, so that's, that is the one kind of weird one. And that really is the one where they, they throttle, you know, they may open the floodgates for OTS if they need a lot of, a lot of people, and then they may close it down to just a trickle, uh, if the needs of the air force are, are light, uh, but yeah, they're, they're both valid methods. And I know plenty of officers and pilots who've, who've gone through both commissioning sources. Right. Well, I know m- me, what I want to know is which one is the most fun though? Where am I going to have the most fun and still get get to where I'm, I'm trying to go? Yeah, uh, doing it over again, I would go ROTC 100% of the time. There, <laughs> there are some things that I missed out on by not going to the, the academy. Um, but I think overall, uh, I enjoyed my time. I, I enjoy having civilian friends in college uh, is, is something that, you, that just doesn't really happen in, in the academy. Um, so if I, if I were going back, uh, I would do the ROTC thing again. Absolutely. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what everybody says. Um, so I, you mentioned that you tried to get into the academy and a few different things, but for people out there, if you're looking to be a pilot, it sounds like you need to start planning fairly early on. Uh, like when, when should really they start putting all their ducks in a row to, to ensure that they're going to get that slot or, or go to the place where they're going to have the best chance? Yes. hundred percent. You need to start planning right now. Uh, I, I determined that I wanted to be a pilot in the Air Force uh, when I was in eighth grade, which was great timing for me because then I could go into high school knowing that that was my goal and then could start figuring out, all right, how do I, how do I get into the Air Force? You know, what are the, the requirements academically um, and what are the different routes that I can take? And so, of course, I, I applied to the academy and then I also had the backup plan. You got to have that, the contingency plan of going to ROTC as well. Um, it's, it's, heavy on the academics. You, if, if you're, if you're not able to keep up a, a good GPA, chances are likely a, you're not even going to make it into uh, the Academy B. You may not, I was, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship through RTC. Uh, so you may not get a scholarship. And then specifically when you're in uh, the, the Academy or you're in RTC, it was, I think the criteria was, was back when I went through and uh, uh, I graduated in 2013 was 60% academics. Um, was was how they racked and stacked you, and then the, the other forty percent was you know physical, um, extracurriculars, leadership was a big portion of that. They take leadership into account 
for extracurriculars, for um, for your fitness, for the how you're doing in your military classes, uh, either at the academy or in ROTC. Um, and then, I mean, keep going back to it. The academics that's the biggest thing. You, you need to you need to make sure that you're doing your studies and that, that you're getting uh, good grades throughout high school to set yourself up for success once you get to the college level, and then getting good grades throughout college to set yourself up to get selected for. A pilot slot. And I will say, um, ever since high school, every single next step that I've taken, I've had to study harder and harder. So I studied harder in college than I ever did in high school. I had to study harder in pilot training than I ever did have than I ever had to in college. And now that I'm in ops, you know, in and in I'm an instructor in the F-15 right now, I have to study even harder now to make sure that I remain sharp and am able to train up the, the next guys coming through than I ever did in high school, college, pilot training, any of those times. So that learning curve never stops. You're you're always on on the curve. So set yourself up for good habits of studying and of of getting your mind uh, in the spot where you can consume information and then translate that into uh, action. Whether that's you know tests or whether it's applying it to the uh, to flying an F-15. And I'm sure all of you guys do the same thing in your career fields where you've got the academic portion and then you have to go out and apply it in the field. Yeah, um, there's a little bit less of a bar <laughs> and ac- academically, though, for us. Um, a lot of it is, can you take this big thing and carry it or hold your breath until, you know, your body doesn't want to do it anymore, but you still make your body do it because we told you to. <laughs> um, so there's a little bit of that, but uh, the academics is another portion, especially, mm-hmm. you know, with the CCT doing the JTAC thing and then PJs with the paramedic, that kind of stuff. SR doing all their nerds already so everyone knows that um tough nerds is how trent puts it so um so basically you want to do this since eighth grade Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) do you have anything that you wish you would have done earlier in your years because it sounds like there's not really much as far as getting ahead that you can do before you you get because a lot of guys ask us like hey can not should i do my paramedic first and then come in or should i you know to try and get ahead but it sounds like you're pretty much like grab onto a rung and then get that next one and just keep on there's no skipping steps it's just straight up continue studying and Along with that, do you study a specific thing or is, cause I know we're going to get this question based on what you were saying, like, do we have yep. to take a certain class or a certain degree or that kind of stuff? Uh, the short answer to that last question is no. Uh, I, there's a myriad of, of guys who are flying with different degrees. There's a guy who, uh, one of my buddies said he basically created his own degree by taking whatever classes he wanted to take and graduated and got his pilot spot. I, I think the biggest thing for that is again, the grades. So if you, if you're, if you're thinking maybe I want to go engineering or, or something, uh, you know, a chemistry or something like that, that's going to take a lot of academics and you're, you have a feeling you're not going to handle that. I would not do that because at the end of the day, it's not so much the degree, it's the grades that you got doing the degree that matter for getting a pilot slot. Um, that said, the types of studies that help once you get to pilot training and beyond the STEM types, I would say if you have to have a good basis in math, because it doesn't matter how much technology you have in the jet, there's a certain time where you're going to have to do some mental math, figuring out, um, you know, relative elevations or altitudes that that we're flying at, you know, as soon as a system fails, you need to know, um, okay, what's my fuel burn? How far can I get? 
those types of things. So, so you're always going to have to do the mental math. There's, there's never going to be uh, enough technology until a human is not in the jet anymore uh, that will, that will um, allow you not to have to do math. So I would, I would have a good firm foundation in math. Doesn't mean you have to study at that as a major. Um, and then the sciences, those really just give you a little bit of a leg up to, um, to better understand the systems of the aircraft. Um, you know, if you understand the basics of, of how physical, you know, systems work, you're going to be a, a little bit ahead of your peers, but that's just, uh, I mean, we're, we're pretty nearly splitting hairs here. Uh, again, the biggest thing is getting those good grades. So study what you need to, to get the good grades. And then if you can give yourself a firm foundation, I would, as far as what are the things to do to prepare? Uh, I was fortunate that I, that I knew that was what I wanted to do from eighth grade and never wavered from that. Uh, not everybody is like that and not everybody should be like that. Um, but I would say if you're wanting to go the pilot route at some point, get into an airplane and fly, uh, whether that's, I joined the civil air patrol, um, which is a, it's the official air force auxiliary, but they have a large fleet of light aircraft. And as a, if you join as a cadet, um, and I think even potentially Jay Rotsey has like in high school has a relationship with civil air patrol, but there's a, there's plenty of other programs. The, the bottom line being get into the airplane and make sure that you actually like flying. Because, uh, I do know a couple people who, once they got into the, the air force and started their first couple of flights, they're like, I don't actually like this at all. Uh, and so they ended up, uh, going to do something else. Um, well, and so I bet the air force was pissed about that. <laughs> Well, I mean, they have screening programs just, just like, uh, like your pipelines. And so you get weeded out pretty quick if, if that's going to be the case when they haven't invested too terribly much into you, but, um, yeah, just, just get in the air, you know, take a, take an hour or two of instruction and just make sure that it's something that you enjoy. Um, that would probably be the biggest thing I, I would say to do other than, you know, uh, academics and then sports is also very helpful for getting into the, either the ROTC, uh, scholarship realm or the academy. Okay. And, uh, it sounds like obviously you had the academics on lock, um, and you're able to, you know, get in the seat and all that kind of stuff. Um, as far as jets go, uh, peach obviously knows a lot more than I do about any of these jets. Um, I'm stationed at Hill, uh, F 35s, that kind of mm -hmm. stuff over here. Uh, those seem pretty cool. Also, mm -hmm. they go, seem like they go really fast and stuff. What drew <laughs> you to the F 15 E model? Mm -hmm. Well, I, Quite honestly, I wanted to be relevant uh, in today's kind of mission set. And so Cop, the, copy shot. Got it. The way to be relevant was to, was to have good game in the air to ground realm, uh, specifically cast, because that's what we've been doing the last two decades. Um, and so uh, that's primarily why I chose the Strike Eagle. My, I think my second pick was going to be the A-10, again, for the same reason, because you have a close relationship with the guys working on the ground. And uh, between those two jets, the Viper does a lot of work as well. Uh, but there, the strike Eagle is the workhorse of the, of the OAR kind of cast fight. Uh, but, but in addition to that, the strike Eagle is also, uh, I mean, the Eagle was built for air to air. Um, and so it can do both. It, it was designed to self escort at night. I mean, that's, and it, and it basically did in desert storm It self escorted at night flying in low altitude with precision guided munitions to hit, uh, high priority targets in the beginning days of desert storm. Uh, and that's still the mission that the strike Eagle flies today. Uh, hopefully we'll be getting into some more exciting things here in the near future. Um, but that's, that was the primary draw. I, I wanted to, I wanted to get out there and, uh, put some more heads and foreheads with you guys. Yeah. 
we'll get into some of that JTAC stuff here in a little bit. Um, but as far as flying in general, because obviously it takes a big chunk of your life and just like the missions and training that we do hang around the similar people to us, um, you know, it kind of changes the way your perspective of your world and how you kind of view things. What would you say um, the biggest impact that, you know, flying in general and being around these kind of people that are, you know, high achievers and they've, you know, worked their whole life to get to this point and be able to do this. What would you say the biggest impact has been for you just being a part of the community and being able to fly in a fighter or jet? I think kind of like what you said, uh, I'm privileged to work with a lot of, uh, with a lot of really awesome people who are driven to achieve and to be the best that they can be so that we can provide the, the air force, uh, the really, it comes down to the 18 year old with a rifle at the end of the day, uh, who's on the ground, who's making the mission happen as, as fighters, we're, we're in support of that. We're either opening the door air to air wise to be able to get other assets into the area, uh, or we're, you know, help helping to, uh, keep an eye on or attrit any enemy fighters who are affecting that 18 year old on the ground and preventing them from, from doing their mission. Um, but being around a group of people who is, who is so focused on that as their priority and becoming as, as good as we can be personal development wise, but then also, you know, proficiency wise in the, in the aircraft, uh, it's motivating and it's that is why uh u.s fighter pilots are the best in the world it's because uh we have that constant uh constant improvement mentality uh it starts from the the mission planning and then goes through the brief and then you do the execution and then you get back and you debrief every single mission and you go through everything that happened from the start which is mission planning to the end uh and you talk about the things that went well what didn't go well why, and then how we can be better tomorrow. And then one step further, how we can tell our bros so that they can go out and be better tomorrow as well uh, from the lessons that we learned today. Um, and I, th I think that's the biggest thing. And that, that concept applies to any aspect in life. It's, it's not just for fighter pilots. It's not just for, uh, for JTACs and PJs. Um, it applies, it, it applies everywhere. You know, if I'm, uh, going to do my workout and I get done and I'm like, all right, so what went well there? I, you know, mentally I was not prepared when I walked into the gym. And so I had an awful workout for the first 20 minutes and, and felt like it was the whole thing was a waste. Okay. So how can I go back? And before I step foot in the gym, make my mind right so that I can crush this workout. What are, what are the steps? I think a morning routine is something that everybody should have. And in my opinion, a morning routine happens the night before when you go to bed on time so that you can get, uh, get your sleep <laughs> and then actually wake up, hit the road, run, do your workout, you know, uh, do your, do your reading, whatever it is for the, for the morning, uh, that makes yourself, that makes you better. So that when you walk into the work, you're at your peak performance and you're not playing catch up with a, a cup of coffee, half awake. Um, so just, just that mentality of, you know, let's, let's get this thing done and let's do it as well as we can and, and make sure that we're improving all along the way. Yeah. And I think that's huge also for those guys that are going through and preparing for the pipeline on our end. You know, we have guys that they wake up in the morning first thing and they forget to shave. They show up late to formation and mm -hmm. then it's kind of a downward spiral for the rest of the day. They're just trying to play catch up and in the back of their head, they're just thinking about how much of a shit bag they were in the morning. 
And then it just, you know, it kind of flows into everything else you do for the rest of the day because that's what you think of yourself. And you're just like, I just can't get this right. So yeah, like you said, uh, you know, it starts in the night, the night before when you're going to bed and you're getting everything ready. You know, I tell people like, you set your clothes out, mm-hmm. get everything ready to go, your backpacks all ready, like your drink, whatever you got, pretty much always set your lunch in the fridge, that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, it starts with the preparation and that's very important. So um, speaking of which, I know you probably haven't, uh, you know, had hopefully haven't had to see a PJ in real life and have them pick you up or anything like that, but have you done any training or any of that kind of stuff with uh, PJs? For the the close no no training uh, with PJ specifically the closest thing and I I don't actually know if there were PJs involved I'm sure there were uh, there was a a mission gone wrong down it I was in OIR uh, where uh, they were clearing out a bunch of ISIS caves and it that that had been destroyed the night before and it turned out they hadn't been 100 destroyed because there were still fighters there uh, long story short a couple uh, it was a coalition fight so. But a couple Americans uh, got pinned down um, and injured, and then the next like twelve hours uh, were spent, you know, assembling the forces and and getting these guys out. Uh, I f- I was flying my two ship was overhead for the last uh, couple hours when they when they finally uh, you know cleared out everything else, got access to the uh, to the casualties, and then uh, had the helicopters coming in and pick them up. And so we actually watched as the the helicopters came in. Uh, they they retrieved the the guys and then uh, took them out and then we followed the rest of the convoy uh, most of the way back to their uh, their home base for for cover. Uh, that was probably my most memorable sortie. I didn't drop any bombs uh, or anything like that, um, but uh, you know just just the the gravity of what was going on at that point and the fact that there were you know there were Americans who were uh, separated from their team and in a extremely precarious position with injuries, uh, was, was something else. The cockpit, I mean, normally we don't talk, have a whole lot of chit chat in the cockpit. It's a sterile environment for the most part. Uh, but there was not, there was almost no, uh, non tactical related calm that was going on in the cockpit that night. Cause it, just cause of the gravity of, of what was going on the ground, we, we wanted hundred percent of our focus on, on the mission. Again, I can't remember. I don't know if there were any PJs involved. Um, I imagine there probably were just based on the nature of it. Um, but that would have been my, my primary encounter. Well, there may not have been any PJs, but there were most certainly JTACs yep. on the ground. There so, were, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of happy that you haven't gotten to work with PJs. Um, <laughs> that's generally that's going to be a bad day for you, but, uh, it's generally a pretty good day when you get to work with JTAC. So what has your experience been when you were deployed, um, you know, working with JTAC? I'm sure you've got a whole, um, you know, you've worked with both combat control, J qualified JTAC, and then tech P qualified JTAC. So what was that like? I mean, number one, we, we do a lot of training just because of the ma- nature of our mission, the CAST mission. So I've done a ton of training with, with JTACs, uh, but downrange specifically, I mean, yeah, we, we talked to them almost every single day. Uh, there were f- very few days where we got tasked on a, uh, on a mission that didn't require JTACs as a part of it, um, or really the, assigned to a mission that required F-15s to be a part of it. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I flew a hundred combat sorties and I would say probably, uh, uh, 70, 70 of them or more were, were working with JTACs. We're, you know, calling them up, getting, getting the two-way comm with them. And then uh, not all of them, there was a whole heck of a lot going on, uh, but some of them got pretty intense in, at some points. Um, 
I think the the biggest thing that I respect of the JTAC community is uh, the fact that you know you guys are on the ground, you guys are carrying all the equipment. You're probably embedded in in a unit uh, that you're largely unfamiliar with, uh, at least at the, at the beginning, uh, whether that's an, an army unit or otherwise. And you are the one tie to the American air power that's uh, that's available overhead and responsible for taking in the tactical situation that's happening on the ground, however it ends up developing. Uh, making sure that you know the ground commander's intent for, you know, how much risk we're willing to accept and at what point we're going to, you know, go kinetic and ask for uh, for some air power. Um, and then coordinating that in such a way that you're keeping all of the air sa- assets safe. Uh, you know, you get into a stack and you check in and there's, you know, three drones and um, and uh, a couple other assets and a couple of different formations of fighters and the fighters are trying to do a, a handoff and we've got the JTAC on the ground who's checking everybody in and handing out sensor taskings. And um, I mean, it, sometimes it's difficult to, for us to keep up on all the calm that's happening and, and keep a keep keep situational awareness on the overall tactical picture and what's going on. Uh, so I, yeah, I have huge respect for you guys able to do that uh, on the ground. You know, we've got the advantage of a God's eye view of the, the battlefield and uh, you guys don't always have that. Um, uh, but I think the biggest thing is it all, it usually always comes down to communication uh, and it's not, I'm not talking like the actual physical radios. I'm talking what is said on the radios in the minimum amount of, of calm time uh, to get everybody in the stack and in the fight and on the net in the, in the same picture with the same vision of, of what we need to get done and then go out and execute uh, for us, you know, you give us a sensor tasking, uh, you know, track this house or, or track this car, or, uh, you know, clear out a road that's incoming to, uh, to where the operation is happening. Uh, and then we have to make the, the decision of, okay, do I talk about this or, or do I not? Uh, but for, for the ability for the JTAC to give the air crew a sense of what's important and what's not important to be able to reduce the comm time so that every single piece of comm that's put out on the net is SA increasing for everybody and not SA decreasing for everybody. Because the second somebody comes in there unshaven, late to work, they, they didn't have the morning <laughs> coffee uh, and they, you know, key the radio, don't say anything for the first 15 seconds and then just, you know, mouth vomit uh, a three minute conversation you know, that is, that is the worst. Uh, I'm sure you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Again, I was going to um, say, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've been guilty of that. <laughs> I, I have too. We all have. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, that's the biggest thing with working with JTAX is, yeah. and it's, it's true of every single mission that we do in, in uh, for, for the F-15, um, the comm time, but specifically when you're dealing with, all right, we got our friendlies here. And then there's another group of friendlies over there. Uh, these are where we expect the enemy combatants to be from. And then, everybody else's uh, neutral party or civilians uh, it's, it's vitally important to get each of those pieces of information out. You know, when we're plugging coordinates on the, on the bombs to, to let those things fly uh, you know, we need to make sure that a, we know where the friendlies are so that we're not accidentally typing in those coordinates uh, and then B make sure that we have the actual location of the, of the combatants or the, the assets that we need to destroy. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you, you, kind of you boil it all down to comms right communications and and i've often said that you know we're interpreters or we're translators because you know we we as in you know ccts and tag p's are able to 
speak, you know, air language, air force language, and then also able to speak army and Navy Mm -hmm. language. And we've got to be able to, what we receive from that ground force commander, whether it's army with Navy Marine, we got to be able to translate it to, to where air force speaks so that we understand each other and vice versa. It just, you know, two way comms. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, it's really important. It needs to be detailed and needs to be concise. So that's, I actually kind of equate that. Sometimes I do get long-winded on here, but other times I'm very concise and I feel like, man, I probably should have dove into that a little bit more. <laughs> but um, So this, has, this episode hasn't come out yet, the one that I'm about to reference with Colonel Allison Black. She's, the, she's an AC-130 pilot, mm. um, nicknamed the Angel of Death. And I kind of was talking to her about this, and I'm, I'm interested to see if, if you felt this. So I'm going to take it a little bit um, deep and pick your brain a little bit. But uh, I was downrange uh, doing the wing weapons officer gig in Bagram with the F-16s. And I had never done that before, been in that position where I'm not necessarily on the ground, but I'm, I'm helping the pilots as, as the weapons officer. And um, there was a really bad tick, and, and it continued on throughout the deployment, but I remember sitting down with the pilot, do a debrief after the, his very first tick. Like he had never supported a, a troops in contact before, and it was a really bad situation. And he he was pretty beat up about it because you know he went Winchester, or you know for everybody else out there, meaning that he had no more bombs, no more bullets, um, and the guys when he, when he had to le- leave because of fuel, um, you know they were still in a fight. And he did everything that he possibly could, him and his wingman, to, you know, to neutralize the enemy, to help the the friendlies break contact and get out of there. But it just, it was too bad and they couldn't make it happen. But he, that really beat him, he beat himself up about that. Like it, it really, you know, hurt him bad. Um, and I had never seen that aspect of it before, which which was really interesting because you know you supporting guys on the ground. I'm sure you have felt that, um, and I'm, I'm missing the word that they're desperate, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, "Why are you taking so long?" And it's nothing personal, but it's like, "Man, we're in a spot, and I don't know how much longer we're going to be lasting." Um, so I like. How does it, have you had a situation like that, and how have you dealt with it? I have not been uh, overhead for a true tick scenario. Uh, I'm. I think I either showed up. I think I showed up right after one had happened. Is the closest that uh, that happened to me, and um, it was fairly quiet during my entire deployment over in OIR. Um, but uh, I think what you said about the, the tone, uh, th- that's, that's 100% true because w- what's going to happen, you know, we can, we can train to, and every single, typically every single cast sortie that we, that we do in training will have a, a troops in contact scenario just to make sure that we're, because we're, it it's a different process. And uh, what happens is you start truncating all of your procedures because, like you said, it needs to happen now. But when you're in training, it's far different from when you're actually, you know, in a situation like that, you hear gunfire in the background of the radio comm. Uh, you know, you hear the, it's, it's obvious when you have a JTAC who, who has a certain cadence with their comm 
and you can tell when they've got the situation in control and they know exactly what they want to do next. They, they have their next step to find, but by nature in a chips and contact situation, you're, you're going by the flow. I mean, you're in an active situation. There's things are changing so quickly that you're not able to lay out a, a game plan over the next, you know, couple minutes. And then hearing that tone in the voice, uh, it kind of brings you into the scenario. What we talk about a lot is, is trying to make sure as, uh, as the air crew that we, um, try and keep ourselves uh, slightly out of the scenario so that we can keep the bigger picture essay. Cause when you get into the scenario and you're starting to do things uh, quickly, that's when you're more likely to make mistakes like uh, dropping on, on your friendly cords that you have written down on, on your card. And uh, it always comes back to once you release the bomb, you can never take it back. Uh, and so we need to take, if, if you need to take that extra five seconds to make sure that everything is copacetic, that you know exactly where the, the friendlies are and you know exactly where the, the enemies are, especially in a highly uh, volatile situation where, where people are moving around and potentially friendly groups are getting split or, you know, whatever it is, um, uh, that is when you need to be even more uh, aware and even more uh, judicious about the processes that you're that you're going through and how you're setting up your systems and making sure that your notes are correct and then you know going back to the comm piece that's where the comm is going to be uh the most vital because because you need to get those critical pieces of information and you cannot mess them up uh because if you put a bomb in the wrong spot you're either wasting at best you're just wasting that uh that 500 pound or thousand uh 2000 pound bomb that could be used uh or worse you're you know you're you're going to hit near or, uh, God forbid, you know, right on top of that friendly position and, uh, then just make the whole entire situation far worse than it ever was before. So, um, that's why it's sometimes messy. I, again, I I've never been in a firefight on the ground. So, uh, so that's something that I, uh, will hopefully never experience, but, um, that's where, uh, you know, you get drawn into that situation and it's, it is sometimes difficult to, to take that one step back and make sure that you're taking in all of the inputs and you're making good decisions. Uh, and then it's for the air crew, for us, it's, you know, the flight lead is off to the tanker and leaving the wingman over the, the troops in contact to start uh, doing the job all by himself. He, he may have only been flying the jet for six months and he could be the, the one who's delivering your 5,000 pound bombs. Uh, but now you've got the, or your 500 pound bombs, but now you've got the <laughs> flight lead going off to the tanker. And now he's talking to the, the air controller being like, Hey, we need to get, uh, we're going to be bingo. This tanker's out of gas. Uh, we need to get another formation out here now, like yesterday. And so they start coordinating all that, all that stuff while trying to keep up on the fight, you know, tracking where the, the bombs have hit, where the enemy location has changed to, where the friendly location has changed to. Mm -hmm. um, it's intense. And it, like I said, it's something that you really can't train to. And uh, luckily I've never been a, par a part of a situation like that. Um, but like, like that, uh, the op that I referenced uh, that went wrong and we had to extract those guys. Yeah. You land. And I mean, it's, it's uh, you think you go to bed that night and you're, you're, you're running through your mind. What could I have done better? What, uh, how could I've helped, help the fight? You know, is it, is there something that I, uh, that I could have done more, uh, in order to, to make sure that our boys on the ground are, are going to get out there, uh, alive and have a successful mission and everything. Um, so I'm not surprised at all that, that you had that ceremony yeah. with that F-16 pilot. <laughs> well, that's why it's another reason why I think it's important for JTACs to get ride alongs, you know, whether it's mm -hmm. in, you know, two seating, two seater Vipers or strike Eagles, mm -hmm. uh, at the same time, Whenever we're out the range, especially at Nellis, because it's very doable at Nellis, yep. getting you guys to come out on the range yep. with us and just to see because you, you know, when we're 
when we're out there and we see and hear bombs go off or, or you guys come in for a strafe, like, yeah, it's very audible for us. And there's a, there's a solid reaction. Mm-hmm. Whereas for you guys, when you, when you pickle it, that's, that's it. There's no, there's no sounds. There's no, nothing like that. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're, you're kind of looking through the pot or looking through the canopy and see like, okay, where did it hit kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's just a very different perspective. And you've used, I'm curious now, and we haven't talked about this before. I'm curious. Some of the language that you used, um, are you an instructor at the weapons school now? Or have you, are you about to go thinking about it? No, I, I am. I'm considering going to weapons school. Uh, I'm, I'm currently in operational test. Um, and so we're, you know, all the, the fancy new hardware and software that's that's coming onto the Strike Eagle. Uh, we get to to test that out and then develop the tactics for it and everything. So uh, almost everybody that I work with is a weapons officer. Um, uh, but no, I'm 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 an instructor. I'm an ops instructor in the F-15. Uh, well, hopefully, I didn't not. jinx you. <laughs> <laughs> it is down the street, and actually, uh, I flew with them last week. I got to to be number four for one of their rides, and that was pretty cool. Good, nice. <laughs> Well, for, for a little peek behind the curtain, uh, the, the reason that you're here is you met up with our own Aaron Love. That's right. And, and I'm curious, be, Aaron being such a shy and, 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 and <laughs> you know, that type of person, how did you get him to open up and start talking to you? What, did you guys start talking about BJJ? Because I'm pretty sure that's all he ever talks about. It's funny that you say it. So we were, I was at uh, SOS, the, the captain's school uh, for the Air Force, and he was at his uh, master sergeant's school i think it, i can't remember the exact name of it but uh something at, at the air force development school senior nco um, academy there we yeah. go yeah um so we ended up in the same uh zoom call together it was just like an integration with uh with the two different uh schools um and it was actually somebody else who mentioned that he was in a podcast and that that's all he ever talks about uh <laughs> and so that, that came up and i ended up reaching out to him and uh the rest is history but yeah <laughs> Okay. Uh, he does yeah. like to hear himself talk, though, if that's... <laughs> I mean, I, I can barely get him to talk to me. I don't know what we're all talking about. Um, so, uh, so, a little bit back to becoming a pilot, I guess. Um, if, if we have current uh, officers or enlisted people that want to uh, retrain from, like, active duty or from the guard side, is that difficult? And do you guys see that uh, very often? I, I have seen it. Um, there, uh, there was a guy... One of my buddies in my pilot training class was a, had just put on master sergeant when he um, when he ended up going through OTS and then uh, getting pilot slot and flying. He flies C-17s now. Um, and then as I was in ROTC, there were a handful of prior enlisted guys who I went through ROTC with as well. As far as um, the difficulty of it, I, I really I couldn't say. I just don't know. Uh, it is possible, though. And I would say if that's something that you're interested, probably let your commander know or your flight commander or whoever it is know as soon as possible that's the route that you want to take. Um, as far as getting to be a pilot, all of the same things that I just talked about still apply. You need to have good grades uh, wherever you got your bachelor's degree. Um, and obviously, they're going to look at if you're if you're prior enlisted, they're going to look at your enlisted career. Uh, and so uh, making sure that you're currently being the best that you can be, being a leader in your uh in your section or, um, or organization, whatever it is, um, you know, go in the extra mile, make sure that you're, you know, it's, it's everything. If, if you're, if you're getting poor scores, uh, on your, 
on your physical fitness tests, that's going to be a major, uh, a major thing that they're going to look at and taking a, you against an equivalent, uh, who has been getting good scores. They're going to take the other guy every single time. So across the board, you need to make sure that you're, that you're doing your best and you're, um, you're going above and beyond and, um, uh, making sure that you're, you know, building up as good of an application as you can for that review board. Um, I think they have separate review boards. Uh, if you go to the standard route, like if you end up going to the academy or you go to ROTC, you'll be grouped in with everybody else. Uh, and so you may have an edge just because you are more familiar with the, the Air Force and how the Air Force does leadership. Um, but as far as getting to the point where you're um, transitioning to the uh, to a commission, I, I, I just am not experienced with, with anybody who's, no. who's done that outside of the, the, uh, the couple guys that I knew in ROTC. So... No worries. We get a lot of questions, but uh, I will say from our side, uh, one of the things you talked about, I deal with a lot of people trying to retrain into, you know, our community. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a huge thing is wherever you're at in the air force or in the military, if, if you're like, well, I don't like it here, so I'm not going to do well at my job, but I promise that when I come over to become yeah. part of special warfare, I'm all <laughs> of a sudden going to be like this high performer. It, no one believes you. No. You're never going to get picked up. And yeah. and yeah, so um, last thing for me, I think for this section is, uh, I know it's not like the movies, but like, I think people <laughs> out there, whether it's, it's you or it's us, they, they tend to think, uh, think things are like the movies, but I know I've had certain experiences in my career where it is that kind of like that moment, you know, where you look around and you're like, I cannot believe that I'm getting paid and paid extra to do this thing. And it was all worth it, you know, and it may, it may only be like a five minute thing or it may only be while you're falling through the sky for us. Hopefully you're not ever falling through the sky. Um, <laughs> But have you had any of those moments where you just look around and you're like, I can't believe I made it here. Like all that hard work totally paid off. Absolutely. I try and have those moments uh, as often as I can. Um, The first time that happened was when I was done with pilot training and I was already flying that 15. Uh, And you just like take a second as you're flying out towards your mission and, you know, make sure that you look outside and you're like, this is unreal. Uh, I I get to do a a once in a lifetime experience every single day. Um, And so I I try and have those more often, uh, you know, just to keep, keep my, um, you know, the, the, why, why am I doing this, uh, factor solid. Um, but yes, it, it happens. It, it, it's, it's awesome. It's very cool to be able to tell the stories and, to, you know, swap stories with, with guys like you. And, um, and, uh, what I will say though, is like you said, it is not like the movies. There's, there's a phenomenal amount of work that goes into it. Uh, you know, staying sharp on, on all the new tactics, you know, every day where it seems like we're getting a new type of weapon, uh, that the strike Eagle can, can shoot or drop. Um, uh, we're, we're testing out SDB two. Uh, so, and that's got some pretty cool features. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it is, it's a lot of work and, you know, 12 hour days, uh, are, are the norm, not the exception. Uh, we, and they're 12 hours because you have to leave 12 hours before you can come to work the next day for your, for your crew rest. Um, and so it, it's long days. It's a lot of work. You're, you're always, you're always trying to stay on the on the top of your game, so that when when it happens, uh, you you've got all of the the knowledge up there, and you can apply them. Uh, but yeah, it, you got to take those moments. It doesn't matter what you do; you, you got to take those moments and and uh, appreciate where you where you've come from and where you are. Yeah, especially in the military, you just get so many unique opportunities that most other people just don't ever get to have, especially in different countries, mm-hmm. doing things that, you know, a 20-whatever-year-old, whenever you first came in, you know, doesn't ever get to do. 
And I had a lot of those moments, you know, and I was like a senior airman who's mm-hmm. jumping out of a plane and like, I literally just graduated high school a couple of years ago and never thought I would be in a different country jumping out or like, you know, it's a uh, pretty awesome to do. Um, but you brought up your why. And I just wanted to talk about that real quick because, you know, um, we were, like we were saying before the eighth grade thing, it's, you know, pretty easy to know why an eighth grader would want to be a pilot because it's cool and that kind of stuff. But motivations change as you get older and you start to actually figure out what this job is actually about, not just looking cool on a plane, but what is the motivation for you? And do you think it's the same, uh, you know, across the board or that kind of thing? Or is there a similar type of motivation for fighter pilots that you have kind of intrinsically or Mm -hmm. what is that for me? I mean, I, I truly love the job that I do. Uh, so, so there is that aspect. Uh, I do have a strong sense of duty uh, to my, my country, uh, you know, as well as just making, ensuring that for, for me and my family, I, we can preserve the, the way of life that we have here in, in the U.S. Uh, so that's, that's probably the, the biggest part of it. Um, it doesn't matter what war we're fighting. There's going to be, you know, people who are U.S. people, uh, fighters, soldiers uh, who are, fighting in those wars and whatever I can do to, to, uh, to help them, uh, whether right now for me, it's, you know, getting the best weapons that we can and making sure that they can be implemented, uh, in the, the most optimal way. And that are the people who are in the operations squadrons are trained on them so that they can go out and employ them. Uh, that's, that's the biggest thing for me. It's, it's pretty cool being in this job now because I've got a lot of impact on where the strike eagle is going in the future, uh, and getting to see some of the, the cool new gadgets and toys that, uh, that we'll get to fight with in the near future. Um, and yeah, make, I mean, really it's, it's equipping, equipping the fighters who are doing the job. So that's, that, that's my why I, I also think, uh, just generally, I I'm a huge proponent of, uh, leading yourself, leading your family, uh, leading your, your peers, and then, uh, leading the fight in whatever type of, of application it is that you're, that you're taking to the fight. Um, I think it all starts with yourself. If you're not preparing yourself as a, uh, as a leader and a, and a fighter and the best possible, uh, person that you can be, uh, to apply it to the, whatever, whatever it is that you do, uh, then you're skipping step number one and you're just trying to jump into step number two. And, um, uh, it, it does, it, it doesn't work as well as, uh, as it can when you skip step one. And I think right. you guys get into a lot of that on, on your podcasts. Uh, so, uh, you guys know what I, exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. And I think, um, you know, just having a purpose and being able to actually carry that out, you know, it's a really powerful weapon that you're able to drive in order to change the way that a battle uh, is going to out uh, end up. So, you know, being able to impact the battlefield that way is definitely force. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just shift everything. So yeah, it's definitely awesome to see. And it revolves around your purpose, like I was saying, but, uh, you know, as far as we did want to ask a couple questions because we get a lot of these questions mm-hmm. on our end as well. Um, but getting into the pilots training, cause we have class three flight physicals that we have to go through and that kind of stuff for PJs. But are there any, common questions that you get or common themes that you've seen from people as far as medical history, uh, asthma, ADHD, you know, all those different things. Do you have to be like a perfect person basically and have zero issues when you're going in? Or is it kind of like there's some gray area here and there? Or how does uh, that work? Yeah. Short answer. No, you don't have to be the perfect person. Um, but 
if you can be as perfect as possible, that's obviously helpful. <laughs> um, uh, you do not need to have perfect vision. That's usually the, the biggest one uh, that I get asked. You don't have to have 2020 vision, but you do need to have it correctable to 2020. Uh, and it can't be any worse than a certain level. And I, I can't remember what that, what that level is. Um, uh, don't, uh, don't go ahead and get eye surgery just so that you can, you can make it in. I would rather you have the air force pay for it and make sure that it gets done, gets done right. Uh, and by their standards, uh, because I have heard of a case where somebody went out and got eye surgery and then that surgery itself disqualified them, uh, because I can't remember if it was the specific procedure or, or, or what happened there, but, um, uh, waivers are easier to get after you've already been selected and after you're already wearing the flight suit than they are to get in order to get to that point. Uh, so, uh, the air force doesn't like concussions. Um, so make sure that you're not doing stupid things and, uh, you know, giving yourself concussions, uh, just for funsies, um, because that will bar you from, from getting in. But I think a lot of it is you're going to see a lot less waivers when the air force doesn't need pilots. And you're going to see a lot more waivers when the Air Force does need pilots. Uh, so some of it is is just luck and timing. They're not going to write a waiver for anything, uh, but you know, depending on uh, that is how they kind of um, open and close the uh, the throttle, if you will. Uh, is well, well, we can just medically disqualify some people because uh, they haven't reached a certain level, which some other people are. For example, height uh, for an ejection seat aircraft, you can't be any taller than I think it's like six four or six six. Uh, actually maybe six, two. Uh, and I know multiple people who have waivers for height, both short and tall. Actually, I was going to say, what's the short one uh, <laughs> <laughs> again? I can't, I want to say it's like, uh, five, six, um, oh. but I know, I know somebody who's like, it literally just says peaches, right? There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably more like five, four. I, I can't remember, but, but there's somebody who's, who's far shorter than the minimum who I know who yeah. so I think a couple people. Um, so there, there are waivers for just about anything. Uh, it just depends again on the needs of the air force. I think for, I think, for I think five, four is probably the, the cutoff. I remember in my okay. F 16 ride that that chair, they bumped the chair all the way up, but I was barely yeah. like able to see over. There was <laughs> a, a sign that said you must be this tall to ride. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Bring your kid to work day. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, keep it coming. We'll, we'll, we'll do this all day long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He mentioned height and I saw Jared just perk. He's yeah. like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Let me stand up a little bit taller. You yeah, can yeah. just aim the camera down. I mean, it's no one right, can tell. Yeah. Anyway, um, so the other thing is age. We get that a lot. You know, 39 is the cutoff for us. And uh, if you're prior service, you can get that ducted. Is there an age limit for you? And then also the other age question is, when is when are you too old to be a fighter pilot? Like, are they going to look down on you for being a certain age or older, that kind of thing? I mean, uh, there's there's a two-star general who flies somewhat regularly in my, in my squadron. Uh, I couldn't say how old he is. Um, but he's obviously a lot older than the median fighter pilot age. So, um, uh, no, there's no, there's no limit to how old you can be in, and fly in, in fighters or just in aircraft in general, but most likely just by nature of, of the jobs that you can have in the higher ranks, you're probably not in a flying billet. Uh, and the guys who do get to fly, uh, the, the general officers who do get to fly usually, uh, pull some strings in order to, uh, have an assignment or, uh, be stationed close enough to a base that flies their type of aircraft and then, uh, come up with a relationship with the squadron. Uh, as far as age for becoming a fighter pilot, there is a limit. Uh, I, I want to say it's 30 years old to apply, um, or you have to be 
you have to be younger than 30 years old when you would start pilot training. Um, but it, again, there's a waiver for anything. Uh, most likely, you're only going to get an age waiver if you're prior enlisted, though. Uh, if you're just coming in off the street uh, trying to fly jets and, and you're 35 years old, that's probably not going to happen for you. Um, uh, so, and then, uh, yeah, like I said, for the, for the, uh, the old guys flying, it's typically the job that takes them out of the seat, not, um, their age. Okay. Well, fresh, uh, like I had kind of described before, our demographic is 15 to 35 generally. Um, so you've hit on a bunch of different stuff ranging from mental toughness mm -hmm. to mental readiness to your why, to so many of the benefits uh, that are part of being a pilot and, and the Air Force at large. Um, and I, a lot of people understand why, why we do Air Force Special Warfare, um, because that's what calls to us. And obviously, being a fighter pilot calls to you. So um, as we kind of wrap this up, what would be you know one or two pieces of advice that you would give to anybody who's aspiring to be a pilot? I I think it's it's simple. Uh, you know the Nike slogan is just do it. Um, you just have to start taking action steps. Um, you know, get in the gym, start start getting fit so you can you can pass the Air Force uh, fitness exam. Uh, hit the books so that you're getting the grades that you need to do wherever you're at. If you're if you're in high school still, that's awesome. You got you got a long way uh, ahead of you to be able to to get those good grades. Um, but just take the next steps with the internet podcasts like these. That there's information everywhere for how to how to uh, get to any career in the Air Force, but specifically the the specialized careers like. Uh, like flying fighter jets and um, and uh, controlling aircraft, but uh, you just have to start. Those who sit on the couch and just scroll the endless scrolls, Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> and those who just watch the endless uh, binges, uh, those are not the guys who a we want and b will ever make it to a job like like this. Um, they're they're okay for for what they are in in moderation, uh, and there's there's plenty of Instagram uh, uh, channels that are. Uh, focused on the recruiting aspect and how, how to get uh, jobs in the Air Force and, and whatnot. But uh, if you're wasting all night just just uh, you know flexing your thumbs there, uh, it's not going to happen for you, dude. So you need to get out there. You need to take some action steps. Uh, these guys have done a great job of, of laying out some of what they are. Do, do a couple hours of research on the internets and, uh, and find the, the path forward. We've talked about a lot of them here, but the, <laughs> the bottom line is you, you have to make it happen. It's not going to happen by sitting on the couch. You got to get out there, and you got to uh, you got to make it happen. No, that's that's fantastic because that just shows you that it is not just in the special operations, uh, you know, arena that hey, getting off the couch and being deliberate with your time, uh, time management is a is a real thing, and being focused is a real thing. So that is not just in the special operations community. That translates across the board, and especially when you're in such a, a demanding career field as being a pilot. And I mean, being a pilot, you probably do want to be a little focused. So Fresh, we uh, we appreciate you coming on and joining us. Uh, this has been really enjoyable for me and enlightening. Uh, so appreciate you joining us. And uh, everybody out there, thanks for tuning in, and we appreciate it. Train hard. Later. Later.